This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hi, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And with us, as always, is Maxwell Bogue. Hi, Max. How are you doing? I'm great, Joris. How are you doing today? I'm great. I'm uh, going to be exploring Berlin over the weekend, and uh, Ooh, it's one of my favorite cities. Fun. So, yeah. Uh, I love Berlin. Gonna, you got to go to Museum Island if you haven't. I love it. Well, you can. I have. I've been uh, extensively. We went to Pergamon and stuff like that. Pergamon it's been, is so amazing. I know. And it's going to close for, like, parts of it are going to close for, like, 13 years. And other parts are two years. So I'm getting my Pergamon on yeah, uh, now. Go. That's good. That's good. Yeah, it's amazing. It's like, who would actually think of, like, oh, that's the Ishtar Gate. Let's take all of it. Yeah, let's just take <laughs> this entire structure and bring it to Germany from Greece. No one will notice. <laughs> 593 boxes. And we'll take it from Iraq all the way to... To, to Germany, and then we'll put it back together again in the museum. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Now, of course, we could print it and then give yeah. back the original. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. All right, who do we have on the 3D pod today? <laughs> okay, so today uh, we've got Gareth Neal, and Gareth works at Czar. And I think Czar is really cool because they make print heads. What they do, and I think this is the coolest thing about Czar actually, is that they make these print heads, including high viscosity print heads, which we've talked about a couple of times already. Uh, but also kind of like wide format, kind of highly productive print heads for other applications. But what they do for 3D printing is they kind of are willing to work with you and help you develop a 3D printing application. So if you have, um, if you're a researcher or you're a company and you want to do something really cool that no one's done in bioprinting, in binder jet for metals, in ceramics, whatever, then you can talk to Gareth uh, and his colleagues and they'll help you uh, use their print heads uh, to print stuff. So that's, that's, I think it's a really interesting go-to market. I think it's a really empowering tool for our, our, our industry. So, yeah, and, and I think that's that's great. And that's why Gareth's here today. Yeah, so welcome, Gareth. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, anytime, anytime. And then, um, so Gareth, first off, well, how did you personally get into the, the 3D printing? Okay, so I'm a mechanical engineer by background. I trained as a toolmaker in Cambridgeshire, not far from where Zara is based. And uh, Zar was developing a new type of inkjet printhead, and they needed somebody to prototype uh, the, that printhead. Now, through uh, various companies, I developed a, a, an ability to electromechanically prototype devices with an intention to production so, solution. So, it's uh, I entered Zar to do that, and through the the next ten years, I've had seven different jobs, and I've, I've ended up where I am now. Yeah, the entry into 3D was as part of that prototyping and the timescales involved. Uh, the, the only real way to provide fluid and mechanical support to the actuator that we we're developing was, was 3D printing. And we used, we used 3D printing for that to, to deliver, deliver those prototypes, um, which was largely successful. What's inkjet? Inkjet's just like what? Squeezing out material like really fast? What, what's inkjet? Um, Yes, so there there are there are generally two types. There's physical pumping of droplets through a hole uh, to, to which you would see with a an adhesive nozzle or an adhesive jet, something like that, and and, and leading into higher resolution uh, devices. That's that's actually how the Quantica head works. It it's a physical pump, and then there are acoustic devices which generate a, a sound wave within the fluid, and we use the pressure of the sound wave to eject the droplets. 
Now, Zar uses the Zar uses the sound wave method, the the piezo acoustic method, and we use what's called bulk piezo to do that. So there are two types of piezo devices: there's thin film and and bulk. What's the bulk one? Is it? I, I'm very familiar with thin piezos, like we all see them in toys so, and stuff like that. Yeah, What's the bulk, bulk piezo? It's a crystalline ceramic, uh, as opposed wow. to a thin, a thin film. There. So if you, um, in its in its crudest form, uh, a cigarette lighter that uh, ignites with an electric spark, you're putting movement into the piezo to generate electricity. We use the inverse of that. We put electricity into in, in instigating movement, and that movement then puts a pressure wave into the fluid, which ejects a drop. Uh, and for these different inkjet methods, is there like ones better for different certain things or, or what's the differences between them and saying? Yes, you've hit the nail on the head, really. It, uh, bulk piezo is very good uh, the way we use it for higher viscosity fluids, higher particle loading. And uh, thin film piezo can have advantages in, in speed of, of response, so higher frequency uh, and, and uh, higher number of, no- uh, number of ejections per second. Uh, so there are advantages to both in different scenarios. You've you hit the nail exactly on the head. Yeah. Okay, okay. And, and, and this is no, this... non-heat oh. and stuff like that, right? You're just, these are, it's cold and then it solidifies or is there something else that's causing it to, to move as you're moving these things or to, to harden? I'm sorry, that's <laughs> what I meant. Um, so there, there are several different ways to do that. You, the, as long as the fluid's liquid in the printhead in a, in a, in a jettable condition, that's fine. Once it's left the printhead, uh, then, uh, the substrate can bring an interaction there. So, and then again, uh, you can have a, a, a curing mechanism after the fact. So if you're printing onto a hotbed, the material can use heat to solidify, or if you're printing a wax, you can use cool, uh, a lack of temperature to solidify. You can use UV uh, to uh, uh, cross-link the material into a into a thermoset plastic, or you could use infrared to dry. It all depends on what the material is that you're jetting and and what material it needs to turn into when it's when it's landed on media. Then, okay, so, so inkjet. I think if people know it, they either know it, well in three D printing. We know it either from Albiet or maybe even Binderjet nowadays. These more topical. Um, and then for everyday stuff, we, we, we know it from like the printers, the paper printers outside. But inkjet's actually, I think it's really, it's a really, as a digitization tool, or as a, taking the digital and making it real tool, it's actually a very controllable, kind of very precise, but also kind of scalable way of, of like, like in an orchestrated way, putting stuff down somewhere, right? Yeah. And, and what makes it so special? And, it's a really nice way that the different areas of performance of the printhead uh, form a manufacturability. So we've got, uh, I've mentioned already, we've got a higher viscosity limit than the most other uh, inkjet printheads. We call it ultra high viscosity. Uh, in in inkjet terms, it's ultra high viscosity. In, in fluid terms, it's still relatively low. We have the viscosity. We then have resolution. So the number of the the metric for print heads is still derived from resolution from from print, which is lines per inch. We translate that into nozzles per inch. So uh, resolution: the higher a number of nozzles per inch, the higher resolution, the uh, the more uh, accurate the image, or, or in the case of three D, the 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 more accurate the deposition of the voxel placement. And then you have frequency. So uh, you can have um, tens of kilohertz of ejections per per second. It's in kilohertz, clues in the name, right? So you can put down large numbers of very accurate droplets with a material which is application relevant exactly where you want to, exactly when you want to, and you only depose what you need. 
So it, it becomes a very efficient way of putting down exactly what you want, where you want. And that's that's kind of true for the traditional inkjet areas of, of labels and uh, graphics and other things such as that. And then it's also equally true for 3D printing uh, and uh, additive manufacturing. Can you use biomaterials as well? I, I vaguely remember the early attempts at bioprinting were using an attempt at using inkjet printing. Is that accurate or is that... You can, yeah. yes, and 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 like Joris said at the at the start of the pod, we we have a, a facility here at Zar whereby we can work with customers investigating what inkjet can do. We have a set of services which allows them to understand if industrial inkjet, and that's that's what we do here at Zar. We do uh, industrial print heads for manufacturing methods, be it uh, ceramic tiles, uh, labels. Uh, so on. They're generally applications where the runtime is long. The downtime is incredibly important to the metric, to the financial metrics. And, and yes, uh, to go back to your question, yes, you can do bioprinting, but it all depends on the, spe- the specifics of the fluid. The rheological behavior of the fluid needs to be correct to eject well. And then uh, it, depending on the type of ejection that you're doing and the fluid and the, what's in the material, it depends whether you're successful or not. If you're printing straight up biological chemicals, then uh, that's entirely possible. If you're doing something a bit more sensitive, like um, jetting cells, uh, then the the sheer rate of, no, of fluid going through nozzles at, at several meters per second is incredibly high and that can damage them. So what, what we would do is give the customer our knowledge and our capability and how to jet successfully. And then they would investigate that and feeling free to come back to us for help with what they're doing. You guys are more interested in not necessarily the, I mean, you obviously are interested in the substance that you're jetting, but you expect the clients to come to you with, I have XYZ substance and I want to jet it. Tell me how to do it. Or do you also help to develop the, the materials as well? So we can advise on that. We we know what makes a good jetting fluid, and uh, we've got we've got a document that, that outlines how to make a good fluid for our print head, and then uh, the, it's within the the chemist's toolbox to uh, to create that fluid, which jets well, but also performs the application that they need it to. Because because Zara is a bit different, right? I mean, the other companies are having jets, like we've got Epson and and. Uh... And Xerox and uh, HP and all these guys—they basically sell you the the thing around it, right? And you guys are really focused on first off industrial, right? And secondly, also kind of just the print head, right? That's a bit of a really very different than the other players in the market, right? Well, so n- n- we don't do just the print head. So that, that's that's point number one. We've got uh, uh, so Zar is the inkjet print head company. That's true. We've got a, a sister company called MegnaJet, which making delivery systems. Uh, they they make ink delivery systems for all print heads, but with Zar print heads, we have a particular type of ink delivery system and ink delivery ink recirculation architecture within our print head that we call through flow technology. That this is where we differ from other print heads, and and uh, what it is is the fluid recirculates from the ink delivery system to the print head and back again. And that system controls the uh, conditions, the jetting conditions of the of the fluid for the uh, for the print head. So we're con- constantly in conditioning the fluid in the to be in the optimal range to be jetted at the nozzle. And I'm deliberately using the word fluid because we don't just jet inks anymore. It's it's way beyond that. 
Well, give us some examples, because it is, it is super broad, because we could be doing anything, but what are some, I know you can't tell us everything, but what are some kind of like applications or areas where you really see this, this technology, you know, having, having potential? Okay, so the, the strengths of our recirculating technology is that we've got this ability to jet higher viscosity than other printheads. So that essentially opens up the chemistry toolkit to to the ink formulators where they're having where they're restricted on monomers, oligomers, and and length of, length of chain that they can use. Um, they have more space to play with with a higher viscosity limit, and it doesn't usually need to be a lot. Actually, we can. Printheads usually top out at about um, 12 to 15 centre poise. We're, we're up at 100 in the extreme end, but usually around 50 is enough uh, for what most people want to do. And it has numerous advantages on how that droplet behaves on substrate, be it 2D or 3D. Um, but it also allows us to load pigment into the fluid as well. And because we're continually recirculating, we can keep that pigment in suspension. And, and pigment is a, is a colour term, but you swap pigment for particles those particles can then have a function. So they could be metaparticles, they could be ceramic particles, they could be active particles for use in displays or energy systems, they could be optical part, optical modifiers, anything, uh, the, the application space, and really this is why it's difficult for us to determine what the application space is. And it's the same for the majority of the 3D printing industry, isn't it? Um, what we can do is outline what the printhead is capable of, describe that to our customers who have an application space and a fluid, and then we help them turn their their need into a, a jetting uh, system, working with the ink delivery system and the printhead. Now, Zara as a group then has its systems integration division that we call FFEI, is also based in the UK. And we, we have a Another sister company in the States called Engineered Printing Solutions that also make machines. And those machines are usually pad printers or bespoke inkjet printers. So uh, they make direct-to-object uh, printers, which is the, what we call it an inkjet. But it's it's the odd-shaped stuff, so baseballs, hard hats, things like that. So we as, we as a group can address applications, but typically we work as the main component in a system with a with a a group of um, companies looking to deliver an application for an end customer. So we we understand what the head needs from the machine. We understand what it needs from the fluid and we understand what the customer is aiming for. So we, we try and pull all that together, the right thing in the right place at the right time to deliver what the application that the customer needs. And that comes from our, our over 30 years experience in inkjet of of walking the hard yards of, of competing with household names in the inkjet world, we we uh, we have to be good, and we have to be customer supportive, and that's that's the the way we are. Okay, okay. And, and if you think like well, we mentioned bioprinting, right? That's a really hot topic right now. Uh, can we get better results because due to high viscosity there, or or do we have a better? Because what I always think of this, this the bioprinting thing, it's always like, you know, my my favorite thing to think about is like if we. Everybody's always talking about bioprinting, but it's super slow. But if we would take a lung and fold it out, it would maybe be the size of a basketball court, right? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, so if we want to print this kind of stuff, we're going to have to be really, really productive, right? And then, so do you see, would you see a bright future for inkjet and then bioprinting? Yes, but it doesn't really matter that it's bioprinting or, or anything else. The, the process is the same. It's whether the, the printhead can deliver the fluid to perform the application, and we've we've certainly got the the most consistent and reliable technology uh, to deliver droplets of fluid where they're needed, 
And then um, we, we've got, we know how to jet fluid from our print head. If we're dealing with a, with a, with a bioprinting company, they may understand the, the cellular culture. They may understand what it needs to be at the end, but they, they know almost nothing about inkjet. So part of what we do is, is, is a lot of education and bioprinting. We have uh, now have, we have a water-based print head that can jet water-based fluids as well. We released in November called Aquinox. That, that allows us to address the aqueous side of bioprinting as well. But there are plenty of, of bioprinting analogs that are non-aqueous that we can do with the, the regu- with our other heads. But the um, it almost doesn't matter if it's bioprinting or not. They, we, we provide the, the means to evaluate whether it's possible. And we have done bioprinting in the past. We've done uh, deposition of into assay trays. We've also done uh, some hydroponics, believe it or not, with a print head where, it, where you're dosing deliberate amounts of minerals into into plants in a certain atmosphere to give them exactly what they need, but only what they need. So you're not wasting, you're not wasting too much. We also, uh, I know there is a DNA sequencing being used for data gathering using inkjet technology as well. It, it is possible to start looking into these, these areas of really in-depth technical excellence and, and what some, what the job of, of Zara and, and some of my colleagues here is to do is to provide the platform for people to be able to understand if inkjet can do what they need and then how do i like imagine okay imagine i have like a bioprinting conundrum that's in ceramics or, or whatever area what would i need to do to successfully engage you guys what do i need to really understand about like about, about inkjet to really understand if this could be a, a thing for me okay so you need to understand what makes a good inkjetting fluid from physical performance uh, perspective. Now we've got a we've got a document that within Zar that I can give to a rheologist or a chemist, and they formulate a fluid with the physical properties outlined in this document, and then that should jet. We call that step one, and there are there are five steps to to this uh, five step process we have. Um, we call that step one where we develop the fluid for the inkjet printhead, and this. Whether you're looking at an ultimate graphics ink or you're looking at a biofluid or you're looking at a 3D photopolymer or a ceramic ink, uh, you can you can think of the fluid like the fuel for an engine. If you put diesel in a petrol engine, it doesn't work very well. And, and it's exactly the same for inkjet. So what the, what the aim is, is to maintain the application space, but develop that fluid to be a great jetting fluid. You get the best performance for the printhead and you get the best application uh, delivery and because they work hand in hand, you then get the most reliable jetting, which means you're spending less time managing your device and more time developing your your application. Uh, and that's what we aim for. Um, the next step along uh, in step two for what we do is our waveform development. Now we've got a lot we've got a lot of performance capability in our waveform. That's a really useful tool. So if if we had a a very restricted waveform that had one shape and and you could just ad- adjust the voltage and the timing of that, um, that would really restrict uh, how we could eject these complex fluids. With the ZAR waveform, we, we can put lots of different features and cuts and, and, and different aspects to the jetting into the waveform, which can help us deal with fluids which would otherwise be either problematic or unjettable. Uh, so, and that... Understanding that waveform requires some degree of skill. So we have a, a team of people here that are, are dedicated to doing that. And their job is to get good, stable jetting. And what Zar considers good, stable jetting is industrial reliability. The process of, of developing a waveform doesn't just 
get droplets to come out of the printhead. It gets droplets to come out of the printhead with the correcting delivery system parameters and temperatures. It then um, we then measure that over a degree of reliability. So we're not flooding the nozzle plate. Or we're not ingesting air into the printhead where you have failure mechanisms where the where the where the printhead doesn't work. Now, because we've we've got this skill, we know how we we know and understand how to jet. We 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 can do this as a service which parallelizes this learning for the for the the customer, so they can be working on their application development space while they're using our expertise in jetting to get to a point where they're proving that their project is viable, and then they then build up their education uh, on on waveform after uh, they've done their proof of concept and while they're in a in a an easier phase of development, shall we say? So that that's. That's the second step. It really is is getting the best out of the fluid head combination. The third step is that we can then print samples. So I have a I have a machine capable of three D printing with photopolymers. We have several other inkjet platforms which can deposit materials onto substrates, and we can print a sample. Which those three steps are pretty much aimed at giving you an evalu evaluation of whether inkjet can give you the application you need without any capital expenditure. So you can you can understand what we can do without having to purchase what we what we sell, which is it's really great for companies developing. And you, we can absolutely we have a development kit, which is actually step four, which is the lowest entry point into industrial inkjet. And so you can you can purchase that development kit with a fluid that, you know, works for your application with a waveform, which is suitable for your application and a sample to take to your stakeholder to say, look, this is real. I can do it here's the evidence on and put it in their hand which is a, there's nothing like physical evidence uh, for that kind of argument and the fifth step is support from czar so we we put a lot of effort into supporting our customers uh, like i said we we know how to use our equipment in in inkjet and the the majority of manufacturing customers don't they it's a tool to them that they need to learn and if we were to uh, not give them uh, the level of support and education and, and allow them to parallelize their development uh, it would make projects taste long, take longer, cost more, and not be successful. So we we put the effort into being uh, supportive, and well, mainly because it's the type of business we are and the way we work. But uh, also because it's it's really beneficial to us to to be able to do that for the customer, and it helps reduce the length of time it takes to integrate our technology. I'm just curious: is there a range on the physical size of these print heads? Like, are they? They're so tiny? yeah. The, really big or they like <laughs> we've got we've we've got two fundamental print head widths so there's two dimensions in the print head there's the, the width across and then there's the the depth and we we consider that number of rows that's are so we've got two fundamental print head widths we've got um, a 17 millimeter wide print head uh, that we call irix and that is 128 nozzles at 185 nozzles per inch so it's it's just under an inch wide a single row and that uh, that's a non-recirculating device. So then that has a, an ink pipe going into it, and the ink goes through the body of the printhead out of the nozzles, and and, that, and that's it. The recirculating printheads are all seventy point five millimeters wide, so around around two and three quarter inches. Uh, so that's the print width. Then we've got a series of products where we we take rows of nozzles and, and multiplex them in the print direction. Uh, so we we have a one, a two, and a four. Uh, row product and the, the each row is at 180 nozzles per inch so therefore we've got 180 360 and 720 nozzles per inch resolution all at 70 millimeters 
Now that's the printhead unit itself. If you want to scale up uh, in in width, you then stitch the printheads uh, end to end with a little overlap, and, and you can go as wide as you like. So one of the re- one of the beauties about inkjet is it's scalable. So you can have a three meter wide printhead array uh, printing per fluid. So in the case of our two D business, that would be cyan, magenta, yellow, and black, and you would be able to produce all your colors from your um, from your four arrays of, of print heads. In 3D printing uh, with high viscosity, like I say, it gives you a wider chemical toolbox to play from. So you can start introducing function into inkjet. So you can have toughness, you can have flexibility, you can have elasticity, you can have heat deflection temperature, you can have filled uh, fluids, which add uh, add in a, a little, uh, control some of the shrinkage of some of these materials. You you could have metal particles, you could have ceramic particles, and you could have functional particles. You then uh, can swap the colors in 2D, so where you can mix colors. Uh, for example, you, you mix red and, and blue to make purple. You can start mixing things like toughness and heat deflection temperature, where you've got toughness where you want to mount the part and you've got heat deflection temperature where you've got a hot component or it's it's experiencing a hot environment and you can phase anywhere between them the same way we do we blend colors on an ombre you you could do that with functional materials so that's that's the future of, of functional inkjet 3d printing for me in photopolymer certainly uh, and with what we can do with with metal particles and, and onto into a metal powder bed you could look at alloys as well would yeah, you I have like to this. post-process with the metal, though? You think, or is it like to get rid of the the binding material for, or it, you know, lack of a better word, or there's probably a better word. Yeah, so there's a there's a lot of theory going on here. So in the, in theory, if you have less solvent because you've got a higher viscosity, even if you've got the same functional materials in the ink, um, if you've got less solvent, you could do wider body parts because they would dry out faster from the inside you you also uh, could dry quicker naturally if you've got less solvent and that solvent can be water or, or a or a volatile uh, non-water based solvent so th- there's a lot of um there's a lot of theory and everything has to be developed but in in theory that could work and, and we do have a lot of evidence from our 2d work that that high viscosity has some real added value in this respect and translating that into a binder is entirely possible. We we do have a particular customer that does a, a, a really nice reactive binder jet um, technology that, that that actually has looked at binder in a completely different way. And we, uh, without us being open to them trying our technology, they wouldn't have been able to to do that. They spent a lot of money and a lot of time with another printhead technology, not quite getting there. So it, it does. There are very real benefits. I like this idea because, of course, oh, well, you know that that kind of like mixing on demand could be, you know, could be used for all sorts of things. But you know, of course, the gradient parts is one of the most exciting things. Like gradient, high performance gradient parts in lots of different materials could be, you know, super exciting. If if you know if the materials get a little bit tougher, a little bit higher each deflection and stuff like that, and you can dial in that performance. Uh, that could lead to some, you know, you know, there's, you know, a lot of things coming out of the machine in one go and one integrated part. Yeah, yeah, it could, and and a lot of this is uh, hypothetical. It's dream space, right? But that, that's that's kind of what we what we want to do is to take things out of the dream space into the real space by giving people the ability just to access our technology. Um, and 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 I I'm quite fortunate. I've spent a lot of time in a dream space imagining what we could do with the print head. 
and, and it's uh, it's part of the ethos at Zara is to keep going until you're told to stop. Is is uh, is what I was told as a development engineer. So you're allowed within Zara to the the space to to broaden what you can do, and then that by turn broadens what Zara can do, and then. We then translate that and say, okay, so this works for us. How can we how can we enable customers that want to understand what inkjet can do? Um, well, we allow them to play in it, play in our sandbox by giving them the tools to do so. Yeah, but what do you think of like this this gradient parts gradient material? I mean, I think you, you kind of said, okay, it's a dream space. Yeah, but like Polyjet, you know, kind of has a lot of these 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 abilities already in it. It does, yeah. Uh, so are we seeing? Are we going to be like? Are we closer to having really more functional objects uh, come out of those machines, or? Well, I, I think I think so. I mean, you're you're starting to see the entire three D industry, and at Zar we have three D and advanced manufacturing. So the additive manufacturing for us is a lot more than than just three D. Three D is three D is something which needs. Uh, which has an overhang, which needs a support material to generate a shape, um, regardless of what that shape thing does. There are there are lots of additive manufacturing processes which don't require an overhang and therefore are effectively two and a half D printing, if you like. And then the, the material properties come into play there. And, and that's where you're starting to see the high viscosity have effect first, because actually you're largely taking the way the geometrical complications. So you're proving the functional capabilities ahead of, um, having to deal with the three-dimensional, uh, the three-dimensional challenge of putting the right voxel in the right place. Now you could, you could absolutely, um, if you're in the theory is there, isn't it? If if you've got if you've developed a fluid which is jettable, or a series of fluids which are jettable and can come out of a printhead, and you've got a technology which uses multiple printhead to eject multiple technologies, and you've got software which can put the right drop in the right place. That then, in theory, all this is all this is is really very possible. You've just got to put it all together, and that is very much the engineering. Just in inverted commas, there's a, there's a lot of work in there to make that real. Uh, but the fundamentals are: do I have the building blocks to 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 make this right? Well, the answer is kind of yes at the moment. So you, yeah, you can, uh, and and that's really what we're what we're trying to enable at Zar is 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 our part of the building block. Is that because, like, for example, I was reading this paper the other day. I think it was like I had it on uh, the the three D printing news on Peel thing. It was literally like this thing about them these guys making a room temperature kind of uh, uh, you know metal gel essentially uh, that that is ninety seven point five percent metal and it dries at room temperature. And if you heat it, it actually you can change the properties. So it's like a four D indium gallium alloy that you, you you can you can dry at room temperature and they just like use it in extrusion but then automatically i'm like oh my god you can inkjet this maybe right and is, is that the frustrating thing about your technology that everything is kind of maybe and everything is kind of like it's like you know it's really close and then it's like oh oh it doesn't work is that the hard bit i think the hard bit sometimes is understanding that inkjet can do what you need it to do uh, and that's why we're accessible so inkjet has traditionally always been uh, limited by viscosity to 12 to 15 centipoise, which limits you to color uh, and some uh, and UV inks. So um, UV inks are, uh, well, they've, the, the name is self-explanatory, but you, you lay down the ink and then you cure it hard with, with, uh, with UV light. If you stack those on top of each other, you get a 3D part. Um, the viscosity limitation 
uh, is uh, has always been understood to be it, uh, and we we're really breaking the status quo with with this hundred centipoy capability that we have because um, now the people looking to develop um, new applications have that limit changed. So the the really the 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 challenge is understand is 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 reframing what inkjet can do uh, because there is there is 30 years plus history of what inkjet has been limited to and czar is now reframing that and then you've got uh, a whole engineering background a whole industry of understanding that that we're we're trying to reframe so that it's a it, it's a lot largely analogous to what 3d can do for manufacturing if unless you're it, it, it's adoption and conversion which is the challenge and that, and that takes a lot of energy and a lot of proving uh, and, it, and again we go back to uh, accessibility of the technology at czar uh, we, we provide the metric to answer the question it's not a little bit more of an application because like it's nice to say that everything is possible what do you think is like more probable where we're going to be really seeing inkjet to play a role i i think First, you're going to see it in photopolymers, uh, and then maybe some uh, in the in the jewellery areas. Uh, but it is inkjet is capable of working in phase change material, so waxes into into liquids into wax. Um, it's capable of working in thermoset plastics, so the, the UV photopolymers. It's capable of working in thermoplastics, as you're seeing with with Stratasys SAF technology and and high speed sintering. And uh, it's capable of working in direct jet ceramics, direct jet metals. It's capable of working in binder. So uh, there's there's also going to be some um, some metal binder jetting development coming, I I believe, because it is the lowest cost way of developing metal parts. So somebody will find a way of making it work. So I think I think you'll see see photopolymers maybe first, and some some of the jewellery area uh, uh, alongside that. And then and then binder, binder jetting will become uh, more prevalent because the, the, the challenge with binder jetting is typically the green strength of the part. So the, the green strength of the part is, is what's produced after you've finished printing, but before you've sintered it into solid metal. If you've not got a lot of viscosity, you can't get a lot of glue in there to stick the metal particles together. With a with a wider range of chemistry available, you can use different binders. You can use stronger binders. You can use more of the same binder, and and you can you can make that green part stronger. You can dry it more completely or debind it more completely, and you can uh, you can then add particles into your binder if you've got particle carrying, so you can make it denser. Uh, so you end up with a uh, the ability to make bigger parts, more dense parts, more completely, more reliably, more regularly. And all this starts to feed into where we all want 3D printing to go, which is into the manufacturing space. I know we're talking about an industrial setting here. <laughs> but <laughs> so, so take this with a grain of salt. If we were to then say, oh, we're doing so great with this, let's make some desktop versions. Is there a concern outside of an industrial setting or even in an industrial setting, a safety concern at all? Is it like atomizing particles or something like that, you know, that, that you could inhale if you didn't have the proper safety material around? No more than using an SLA or a DLP machine right. at okay. home. Yeah. If, see, in fact, it's, it's safer than that because you, you've got, you only, you only depose what you need. Uh, you, you haven't got uh, to wash all that, all that extra material off. You haven't mm-hmm. got, you haven't got vats of IPA to to deal. With. There's some IPA involved. There's some cleaning involved. But with inkjet, there are there are genuine water soluble 
uh, support materials available now. So you, you're doing all your support removal in water and, and then you, you might wash uh, briefly in IPA just to clean off residue of water to dry out faster, make it nice and complete. But you, you haven't got the same amounts of open UV fluid uh, that you would have. So in some ways, uh, it, it would be safer. In other ways, to get the printhead hot enough to eject um, um, resins, you may have a heat concern from a safety perspective. Sure, so, sure. Uh, but no, but, yeah. but there's, 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 there's UV light the same as SLA. There's, there's UV chemicals the same as SLA, but there's not the same exposure to the UV fluid as there would be with other ones. So are there safety concerns? Yes, there are. But are they already mitigated by other technologies? Yeah, probably. I think they probably are. There's no new safety concerns. That's probably no, <laughs> no. I, I wouldn't have thought so. And and, and remember, industrial inkjet's been around for thirty years. So no, exactly. Quite, That's it's, just, it's quite well understood. And yeah. and then I think this is largely the point about using inkjet in in new advancements. Is that Zara isn't a startup. We don't have a new technology we're, we're well established the products are well established and understood we're a partner in development and you you're not you know we can make printheads at enough scale to produce whatever volume you need when you need it and so if you do happen to create an overnight sensation we can support that so it it it, it all adds up to a really nice uh, really nice space for, for for us to be in 3d so why haven't there been like desktop inkjet or why really hasn't that taken off is it just that it's it's not accessible to people. People don't aren't, aren't, aren't familiar with it, so it's you know it's much more difficult than for example you know we all know that making a material extrusion printer is way easier, right? So it's, it's just that people go for material extrusion all these technologies because they're much more obvious, uh, and then people just haven't tried inkjet enough. I think so, and there's a degree of timing about that as well. So you, when um, FDM or FFF started, it was. Uh, it started small and then grew into a large industrial machine, and then uh, and then along came the desktop versions. And the same with SLA and DLP, uh, the same thing happened. Uh, and I think inkjet, you've you've got large industrial machines which are very capable and and fulfil a, a, a space. And and maybe you'll you'll see in 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 time that a desktop version will arrive when uh, the the technology democratizes into into an accessible platform. So I think I think there's a large amount of timing involved in that as well. It's a maturity level. It is it is the more complicate the more complex thing to understand. With FDM, you've got one nozzle and one one robot path to control. With SLA, you've got one laser path to control and one and one uh, maybe two motor slides to control. And um, with DLP, it's one motor going up and one one screen playing an image. Uh, with with inkjet, you've you've got the image going in. You've got the printhead to understand, and then you've got the the toolpath to understand with controlling the printhead, which is slightly more complex, but not much. So I think I think there's a degree of timing and a degree of uh, understanding and adoption to to happen there again. And but I think that's I think that'll come. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting take because if we look at inkjet, well, okay. The next question, of course, that everyone's always been talking about this. Well, can't we then make a whole integrated device with inkjet, right? We do the polymer for the casing. We do the circuits and traces and batteries. And then, bam, the, the, the next, dream. Uh, sensor rolls out of the machine. So how, you know, is that going to be like decades away, super complicated? I mean, you know, uh, you know how, how, how close, how realistic is that? Well, I think that's already been done it's, to some extent by uh, the Nano Dimension Dragonfly. 
So they've got polymer as the dielectric and they've got metal tracks as the conductives and and, and then their, their component assembly uh, is, is somewhat interruptible to put that in. And you can do that with a printhead. You can stop the process and, and put a component in and then print over it. Uh, it's uh, it is it is possible to do that already, uh, and I think um, that will only, that that capability will only grow with with time. But you think that's realistic? That wonder because this is kind of like it's been presented time and time again as yeah we're almost there we're almost there, and apart from like you know really super secret sensory sensor type projects, it it it, it it's taken a bit a long time. It's looking a bit like this RFID tags and stuff like this, you know, where it's like you know. Things need to happen in order to make it bigger and and, and and more attractive, or you know, or, or do you think this time is different? Do you think this time the situation is different? I think there are a lot of external factors driving it this time as well. You you've got a global um, outlook which is driving uh, the reduction of the use of large scale chemicals. So uh, with with inkjet, uh, we can depose exactly what we need where we need to. So there's very really very little wasted fluid volume in comparison to to other industrial techniques. I think you're 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 arriving at a set of global circumstances which are going to demand um, some sort of digital transition. You're also then seeing the onshoring, as it's called in other in other markets, of of work coming back, uh, where the volumes are lower, but the the desire to print to produce different things on the same equipment is higher. And that is, that is generally a digital printing transition. So you can look at what, there have been two major revolutions in, in printing that the Tsar instigated and was a major part of, and that was wide format graphics uh, in the early 2000s and then ceramic tile manufacturer in the early 2010s. Uh, every floor tile you purchase now is digitally printed there there is no more analog process and and czar converted that originally and then we over time we've shared the market with our competitors but the same things that drove that so if you look at ceramic tiles it's a non-contact process where screen printing is a contact process so you immediately have a yield improvement by not touching the thing which is very fragile at that state you then can print exactly the pattern you want in exactly the quantities you want. So you have a reduction in inventory, you have a reduction in storage, reduction in, in batch, and a reduction in waste. So that's a direct saving in material costs. And of course, with screen printing, you have a different screen for each color in each pattern. So you have a huge library of screens to store somewhere. So the footprint improvement and all, all that analog transition is uh, to digital is understood by us it's it's something we've done several times before so when when customers have these type of concerns we can reference what we what we did previously and how we did it and and that that again forms a large part of the partnership work between us and them and, and if we look at this tile thing how long did it take from somebody just to like walk in the door and be like hey let's 3 print tiles for that to be kind of industrialized uh, so i wasn't working for zara at the time i, I joined zara just as that was Right at its peak, actually. So the uh, uh, I can't tell you how long Zar was working on it before it happened, but I think the conversion from um, uh, the the first company really adopting it to everybody having it was about three years at maximum. So really very fast. Okay, uh, 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 because we've seen like for example in additive and medical orthopedics and stuff like that. You know, it takes like you know a couple of decades, right? So 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 it could be really really very quick, uh, or it could also be you know, kind of like a whole business lifetime, if you will. Yeah, so there, there are no um, 
with medical with medical food and pharma um, applications, there's a whole load of legislation to pass that isn't there with ceramic tiles. Uh, that can but that can be the today actually, rather than the technology. So it, but again, there, there's a, there's experience with us uh, to to look into that with a high viscosity in two D printing. We're looking at um, the migration of the ink into the substrate, which can be for indirect food packaging. <laughs> And uh, the uh, uh, if you've got a higher viscosity fluid with less nasty chemicals in, because you've got a different chemistry set to play with, then there's less migration into the food. It's easier to make fluids and processes which pass these uh, these indirect food contact regulations. So then it becomes cheaper, and then becomes adop- more adoptable, and then it speeds up. But the, the process of getting there can take time. So yeah. But then a very logical thing would be to do then also to inkjet medicine, right? Because that, that, is that already kind of something that's underway already as we've, well? We've done that with a, a, a partner in the UK called Added Scientific. We worked on an Innovate, Innovate UK project. Uh, so we, yeah, you were on the, on the pod with Chris Tuck uh, earlier earlier on. Uh, we worked with Added Scientific on that with AstraZeneca in an Innovate UK uh, project. And um, yeah, we actually printed medicine. Printed pills was the name of the project, if you want to look it up. So that, that's already been done uh, and it, it can be done there uh, with Inkjet. And I, I believe there's some also some, some uh, extruded ways of doing that as well, uh, ongoing. It, 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 in Inkjet terms, it, that, that's already been done, yeah. Yeah, and also, and one thing I've always been fascinated with inkjet is this thing like Rise like ended up not making it as a company, right? But this, um, but this whole idea of you know coding an object, right? So all of our objects that we make are kind of limited. Uh, you know, first off, we don't have full color, and then the other thing is, um, you know, and some of them are stronger, some have better dimensional accuracy, and all this. So the whole idea of like, you know, let's you know. For example, like let's look at a part of a fusion objects. They're porous. Uh, they suck up water. Uh, they get dirty quite easily. So you know, how about we inkjet on top of that to add a coating to protect it from water and to to, to post process it and then add full color to it as well. And I just think that that's that whole idea, or, or just having a separate machine that just inkjets on all the three D printed parts, whether it's FDM or whatever. I think that's not. People are always looking at one machine to make everything. I think one machine to code everything could be really interesting. Are you guys exploring these kind of coding type of applications as well? It has been looked at, yeah. But you've got um, Dimension and AMT uh, doing that with with uh, what I assume is vapor. Uh, I've no idea actually actually how they do it. I've not looked into it, but um, they're, they're conformally coating the entire surface to 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 uh, homogenize those powder bed fusion parts into a into a smooth more more color dense part uh, which would probably be faster than inkjet i would i would i would i would look at another way of of getting that for inkjet um rather than trying to coat a three-dimensional part and like i said the, the print head is 70 millimeters wide and in some cases it's 30 over 30 millimeters deep so trying to get that into a tight corner uh, is it can be quite quite the challenge you run into application challenges uh with with that i think it's more far more appropriate to use the printhead as a building tool uh, and then yeah, okay. you can you can you can say so if you if you cut a solid uh inkjet printed part in down the middle the the inside of it will largely be one color uh, be it white or black or, or clear and then the outside is where the color is applied um so you can you can apply that logic uh layer wise rather than having to print the finished part at the end I think that's more far more appropriate for for the control of the printhead. 
Okay, uh, maybe. Uh, I'm just so excited about this idea of functionalized surfaces and adding, functionalizing things, adding textures, adding really digital textures and things. I'm really all about that. So. Yeah, and, and that's, uh, that's really that's, the, that, that's part of a part of the the joy of my job is is speaking to people and and um, having conversations where where they ask me what's possible and I I either say yes or no or maybe we can have a look. We've got that ability. So it's part of the joy of my job is, uh, you know, when I was prototyping, my job was to uh, solve the problem at hand in developing a new, a new device, uh, be it a, a mobile phone camera or a print head. And my, the, my job now is, is to help develop solutions to problems in, in application space using print heads, which is, it's the same joy for me. It's just a different way of achieving it. And, and that's a large part of my job. All right. Sounds like a lot of fun, man. Sounds like a lot of fun. Hey, Garrett, thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a great conversation. And Max, thanks for being here as well, as always. Always, Joyce. Fascinating. And thank you for listening. This is another episode of the 3D Pod. You have a great day. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint.com. underscore